0: dear friends, and welcome to our podcast in reading enlightenment, dedicated to sight-reading through the lens of historically informed performance practice.
1: I'm Sebastian Mitra. Hello.
0: And my name is Darina Blogina, and today we have two wonderful guests.
2: My name is Anat Nazarathy, and I'm a flutist. And I arrived in Basel six years ago. I studied a modern Flute master in Luzern and then transferred to the dark side and uh, did a master in the Scola Cantorum on historical instruments. And we studied together, actually. And Darina is, is my dearest colleague, yes, from that time. Yeah,
0: it was fun.
3: I am Amir Tiroshi. Uh, I'm a, originally a recorder player and uh, played a bunch of other instruments in my life to uh, various degrees of uh, success. Um, double bass among them I'm into uh, conducting and and, uh, singing as well from Israel originally came here about uh, eight years ago to study at the Scholar Kontorum where where I met uh, you all
0: but we should mention guys that you have a wonderful ensemble that performed recently you had a a live stream concert. Uh, could you please tell about your ensemble
3: well, <laughs> we have an ensemble, uh, more of a chamber orchestra, called uh, Ensemble Tsura. Uh, Tsura means form in Hebrew. Founded it about like a while ago, like five years ago, six years ago. Uh, it started out as a sort of student project of mine um, and then we expanded uh, the team. We have uh, I have two wonderful colleagues, Anat here and Jules Lezy, horn player and uh, Administrator?
2: Yeah, well, the focus of Tsuga is is the performance of classical music to the range of maybe early romantic and romantic music. And it is an orchestra which plays on modern instruments, but with a, let's say, heightened sensitivity to early music performance practice. And it's interesting because the people of the ensemble are actually um, people who studied both in the Schola and both in the Hochschule. So it's a very nice mix. And also the ensemble has a baby, uh, which is called Sura Baroque. Yeah, Yeah. we play on actual historical instruments, proper Baroque.
3: And we just try to bring, to import the vibe that we want to do with our chamber orchestra to a a more intimate uh, Baroque ensemble.
0: So today we have something special. Uh, It was actually your uh, proposal to play this piece, Annette. It's a piece from Tafelmusik. Telemann. Telemann. It's a sonata. It has a pretty unusual setting. It's for two traverso and a recorder and a bass continuo. What is it for you guys? How do you understand this title?
3: As far as I know, it's music that's supposed to accompany a meal. Right? Tafel in this sense. Table, food, dinner. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure... Um, how different this music is to any other um, normative baroque music and why this should accompany a meal more than uh, any other music. What do you think? I don't know. First of all, did I did I get the term right? I mean, is it... Because, Anat, you said something a bit different before.
2: Well, um, maybe my, my knowledge is a, a bit misinformed because I actually played this piece a very, very long while ago before I knew anything about historical performance practice or... Yeah, anything in life in particular. But uh, back then I was told or I thought that Tafelmusik is table music in the sense of uh, a communal music, that you sit around the table and you put the parts and you play together to entertain yourself as players.
0: But this kind of image we have from all these um, consort part part books where you have the first page with a print on it where people... Sit by the table and they read some music. They beat tactus and yeah, they enjoy.
3: They, before they invented music. the music stands,
0: right? they just,
3: just lay down on the table. Yeah, but
0: I think <laughs> both um, views, both perspectives, are quite like complementing each other. Actually, yeah,
1: it makes sense because also Tafel music. There's so many different combinations of instruments that happen within the collection. It's like violin music and flute music and. This flute or this flute, and it's kind of interchangeable, so I think both make sense. But then we were talking about if it is music communal music, then maybe it is music to be sight read, right? Right?
0: Yes,
2: actually, finally (laughs) something. Finally,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but then looking through the score, maybe it's not. So
2: well, I don't know if the second movement (sighs) is it is practically a, a virtuosic concerto for the recorder, so. I don't know if that's very sight readable.
0: Amir, could you imagine um, pure sight reading with this piece? No. So you uh, you really have to practice because you have played this piece before.
3: Yeah, a long while, while, long, long while ago. Um,
0: But it was already in kind of your muscle memory. A
3: little bit, yes. It's not extremely challenging. I mean, there's hardly any recorder music that is extremely challenging. Uh, most of it works, most of it is pretty easy. But then again, I can't imagine doing this really purely, purely sight reading this. Because there are some moments that you might even need to, to practice, you know.
0: Yes, um, I don't know, for um, Traversi, I thought that it's like pretty straightforward. Of course, there are some um, high notes or, of course, this. it's in D minor, so we have a B flat. And in a fast tempo with certain combinations, it can be a bit tricky. But I think if you have this, like, muscle memory and also you're used to the, those combinations, because with the Traverso, it's all about combinations, right? And then, like, you just have it. You just do it almost automatically when you see the line.
2: It's nothing to compare, for example, with the methodical sonatas, which really pose extreme challenges and are completely not possible to be sight Sebastian, what
0: do you think, looking at this... Um, Contina part.
1: It's pretty straightforward. It's a bit f- silly sometimes. <laughs> There's a lot of tonic dominance. But it looks, I mean, it looks like a not a s- typical Basso Andante either. There's a lot of jumps.
0: Right. We should mention that the first movement he's a, he's has in the fact called tempo indication. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Andante. But it also seems like I have the score in front of me so I can see what you guys are doing. And there seems to be a lot of dialogue between the three of you.
3: Looks like it really needs like knowledge and understanding of the piece like it, it it doesn't work if you don't know what's going on That's true. You really should prepare it or like play it a bunch of times realize what's going on and then that really enhances the performance whereas something that is made to be sight-read I guess shouldn't shouldn't have these qualities maybe or
0: I don't know maybe because I heard this piece some years ago and I kind of had it in my ear and the melody is so simple in a way, it's like a song.
1: I also think that like, if we stick with this idea of conversation, I think the art of conversation was a lot more um, important in at this specific time in the 18th century. And I think almost, I think there are some practices that are kind of like rhetorically obvious and would maybe be recognizable for example arriving in the middle so assuming that i don't have a score and i only have parts i think there are some ideas that if you looked at the part and you saw that you had the theme in the middle of the bar or sort of in a place that is not regular you can assume that you're interrupting someone or if you have articulation markings maybe you know that you're um, alone or if you have these, some figures you can assume that they're going to be in thirds with people. I don't know. I think that maybe people were a little more playful in their gestures also.
0: They had some idiomatic um, models yeah. that they were following. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and actually, that's funny because I find Telemann sometimes completely non-idiomatic as a composer. I really? think some of his, some of his um, they're like Telemannism.
2: I think he's either super idiomatic or he's completely uh, bizarre. Some of his movements suddenly have like a, a tempo angabe that you don't see anywhere else or like um spirituel Did he do did he start Mesto? Yes. in the metallic
1: sonatas? It only happens twice I think or three times. I messed. think it also
3: happens in a trio for uh, recorder mm. and uh, and gamba.
0: Uh, and you're playing today um, the flute that was probably
2: built by Bufardin. Uh It's a funny question because actually there is I think only one original Buffardin flute that was found very very recently and it was a great um, discovery for the flute world because this model has a very nice projection and uh, it became sort of the new hit on the traversal market. After the palanga, which is actually most commonly misused because it's a very late flute, almost classical in fact, and uh, I think it's a flute that a lot of modern flutists like to Mm. use because um, the mouth, the ambassadeur hole is a bit wide and they can push all the air they want and get, you know, a nice fluty sound. But in fact, the bouffardant, uh, the hole, the mouthpiece is still quite thin But somehow you can give with pleasure.
1: Oh my. So what did you think?
2: Well, there's a lot of room for um, interaction between the voices, which is very fun.
4: Yeah.
0: In both movements, you mean?
2: Well, maybe in the first more, but also in the second one, I would say the interaction is between the two flutes, which are really paired together, and the, the solist.
3: That's, that's obviously a concerto for recorder. Uh, with right. an orchestra of two flutes and continuo
0: there was a challenging place for me like fingering wise in bar 69 oh my god so high
3: there were a bunch of challenging places for me as you could hear
0: right yeah, yeah. tell us about just it. Uh, a,
3: a just a couple of places um yeah that you just need to to look at i mean you can't sight read this
0: what about this idea uh, of taking time when you're playing alone like yeah, wouldn't no, work this is here. actually
3: this is actually the, the, the easy part. The more difficult parts uh, happen later. Just a lot of um, fork fingerings and, and E major arpeggio on the recorder. I mean I guess I should be able to do it, but like you need a moment a couple, a couple of minutes to practice you know. Some slightly difficult moments but uh, Telemann always writes in a pretty uh, comfortable way for the recorder, which he for some reason like really liked and wrote a ton for. Mm-hmm. Like I can't imagine what would recorder players today do
0: without, without Telemann.
3: He wrote uh, the entire repertoire more or less and beautiful music. I
0: was just thinking about these two motifs in both movements. The first movement, as I already mentioned, it was was so simple, almost like a song and immediately like you are immediately getting into the mood. But then the second movement, the motive—it's not even a melody. It's just tiny motives. There is basically no melody. It's all like for me, it's just a just an accompaniment all the time.
1: <laughs> I just have like a very orchestral bassline. It's kind of a the the beginning of this. Rem- it just—it's curious for me. Like the affect is like curious. I don't know. Yeah, there's something peculiar about this first boom, 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 boom,
2: Well, I think the second flute is very much connected to the first. Sometimes we do have like these nice complementary gestures, for example in 83, but it's very textural. And we have this special articulation, a very short one.
1: I mean, it sounds like an orchestral tutti, like you play the one and, uh, violin one and two.
3: Especially this uh, unison at the end, right? It's
2: well, I mean, it's... Um, I think it started to be a sort of fashion in this time. Um, I did my master thesis about um, the h sonata by Bach, which is also a very complicated, actually, concerto movement, the first movement. In the E minor, the second movement yeah. is also a type of concerto. And in Telman he has another one for horn and recorder which we actually have a recording of yes also on our
3: on our uh, youtube channel okay with jules Lézy playing uh, playing horn this is actually a horn concerto with a recorder and continuo accompaniment
0: oh that's a very interesting setting
3: the recorder is sort of the two D orchestra
0: Quite a standard Siciliano that we can see more or less everywhere. Also in other Telemann sonatas and in Bach sonatas.
1: But actually, there's a note value, I think, that doesn't really appear so much in the Siciliano, 30 which is a 30-second note. Right. Yeah.
0: But it's just a written-out ornament, right? Yeah. I mean, it can be whatever. Do you know anything about, like, triple cadences <laughs> at that time? Quants. Um, he describes this kind of a double cadenza and how you how you can build up
4: for real. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's very detailed. We would actually
0: first like player one or player two, and then another player, and then they play something together in thirds or.
3: Actually, I did it one time in a concert, like in a Vortragstunde uh, here at the scola, but it was super super simple, just a few notes, but for, it, it worked somehow. But I wouldn't. I, I don't know. I wouldn't do it
0: spontaneously or you can prepare it and
3: preparing it is, is a different story of course but uh, seems seems like something difficult to, to but pull I think off it's just well just a right? matter
0: of practice
1: but I think the, the thing the main thing what you could decide before which doesn't actually affect who starts yeah who leads because if someone leads and has a really clear idea of where they're going if you know the models enough you can actually follow. Allegro.
0: I can see a pretty intense line with a lot of fast values. And then there is a major part called a Poco Menomoso, but I don't know if it's, if it's an original title.
1: Well, it seems to be in parentheses, right?
0: Let's play. <gasps> Thank you. <laughs> I liked that Amir um, was leading the entrance. It was kind of very stable. Uh, there is a
2: Handel sonata for recorder, which the last movement is very similar to the middle part of this sonata. It really reminds me of this um, middle part where like, there, it's like a hymn. And the melody is somehow very calm, but the bass is a bit yeah. wacky. Yeah, don't worry, we can't do it extremely fast either.
0: Yes. Also, I had a question um, about articulation. Um, how do you articulate this descending uh, sixteen notes?
2: Um, in this instance, where they're uh, sort of going downwards stepwise, yeah. it's a it's a really good place for double staccato, I think, because always the second syllable. Uh, is a bit weaker, um, both if you use like uh, do-goo-do-goo-do or did So it's actually a very perfect instance for this. Thank you very much, guys.
3: Check out the link. And Ensemble Suwa.
0: See you next week. It's yes. Well,
3: we're we're going to talk later. You know, like, uh, it's the first time I've seen your face. Yeah. Actually, L- no. not because of the mask.
2: Exactly. now that's oh, okay. it. I <laughs> You have a mustache. You have a
3: mustache.
1: uh, The death and resurrection. I don't
3: know. (laughs)